0: but have amazing ideas, and I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today, we have episode 164 with Coach Hilda Hankerson. She's the head girls basketball coach at Westlake High School in Atlanta, Georgia. Westlake High School girls basketball coach Hilda Hankerson will enter her second USA basketball assignment as a court coach for the 2020 USA Basketball Women's U16 National Team Trials. Hankerson recently completed her 25th season as a head coach. At Westlake High School, uh, she has been there since 1995 to the present and recorded her 600th win in 2019. Hangerson has led Westlake to three state championships, five Final Fours, five Elite Eights, four Sweet Sixteens, eight state playoffs, and nine regional championships. In 2018-19, Westlake was ranked number one in the state of Georgia for the second year in a row and finished 30-0, winning the second consecutive 7A state championship. In 2018, they also participated in the Geico Nationals and were ranked in the top ten in the nation by Max Preps. Prior to Westlake, Hankerson was an assistant coach at Mississippi State University, and she was a head coach at Sailor Tabernacle Christian School. Trinity Christian, and Sunset High School, all which are located in Florida. Coaches today, um, there's a lot of great coaches out here uh, in Georgia, and uh, I'm interviewing one of the best. I mean, um, Westlake High School has won three consecutive states in the biggest division, and uh, she's going to share with us on a variety of topics. One of them is what is she doing to build a consistency of winning in her program, and then secondly, is what is she doing with the USA basketball team? Of course, now they're not uh, doing anything at this particular time, but what is she doing as a, um, a helper and a coach for the USA basketball? And also, um, she's had some big discussions and articles on how to get more women into our coaching profession. So I think you're gonna see a lot, hear a lot of great insights into how to build a program. Here's Coach Hilda Hankerson. Hello. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. <laughs> you sound great this morning. I, I appreciate your patience. That says a lot about you, man, to come back to the podcast. So I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you
1: know, uh, that's what coaching is all about. You have to learn how to adapt and overcome.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, I, I appreciate you joining me this morning. Um, hey, I, I know you're busy, and I know you got a lot of things you have to do, and I appreciate you taking out the time. Um, no problem. Hey, talk a little bit, just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, how you really got started into just loving sports and then kind of growing into a, the great coach you are now.
1: Well, I uh, started into getting into sports at a at a very young age, to be honest. Um, with basketball, swimming. Uh, That's why I teach PE. Uh, We played table tennis in our house. We had people come up in our house to play table tennis. People thought we were having parties every night. We were having competition to see who was the best table tennis player in the community. Uh, Played basketball with everybody in the community. I'm a water safety instructor. Uh, Been lifeguards for years in my early days. So I just love the physical activity. And basketball just became that passion uh, through the years. You know, I played a little softball and and everything else, but basketball just sort of took a hold on me um, when I was in high school and realized, you know, this is something I think I really want to do and just continued to pursue it. And after I was able to play in high school, you know, there were only very few colleges that were actually – getting started with women's basketball. We were on the very beginning stages of that. And to find out that the Mercer University had a a women's basketball team that was in its infancy. And uh, I was asked to come there and play. And they had just come off of the playing in the final four the year I went there. So they had a a strong history of basketball. And uh, I got the opportunity to play at Mercer Uh, for four years and three years uh, I played under the lady who had recruited me Peggy Collins who's now in the Hall of Fame at Mercer University and uh, she got the job at Mississippi State and I was looking for a graduate assistantship at that time and she offered it to me and the rest is history. I enjoyed working with her and she taught me everything that I needed to know about how to run a program uh, at any level. And, and I thank her for that. I am so indebted to her giving me that opportunity.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that to me before and so forth, how um, a coach can be – I think coaches have so much impact on their players. I think we as coaches need to realize that because we can have a really positive or a negative impact on our kids, correct?
1: Oh, that's, that's so right. And you know you have – reach them when they take maybe just one thing that you said and it becomes uh, paramount in their lives and I love it when the kids come back after they finish college or I had one young lady to come and visit me this year when we were playing I believe it was in the Sweet 16 and we were still on our home court and she came up to my bench after the game and she said "You, you coached me in Miami I said I did And I brought her up from the JV. She said, you made me come from the JV program and you made me play varsity. And you told me that you saw something special in me and that I could play at the next level. She said, I was mad at you for doing it. She said, but I want you to know I did go on to play college basketball because I left because the hurricane hit in Miami. It was Hurricane Andrew. So I never saw her grow up. My assistant coach became her coach. She said, but I have wanted to come back and tell you how you inspired me just by telling me that you believed in me so that even when I didn't believe in myself and I didn't want to do it, but this kid got a college scholarship. She began to cry. She introduced me to her children. We were both crying by that point. She said, but you made me believe in myself, yeah. you know, so it, it it can be impactful years later down the road, you know.
0: So we don't know. That's a great point. That's a great story, by the way, coach, because um, I'm just starting my 30th year of coaching on that, but I don't feel like I've been around coaching for 30 years and you probably know, it sounds like to me, you don't even judge it by your years. You can probably coach for a long, longer period of time. We don't know really the job we did until years down the road when kids come back to see us, like you said.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, and, and that's the key point in it. Uh, in that moment, they're probably, you know, fussing and mad at us uh, for saying certain things and for demanding certain things of them. And, but when they come back, then they quote you. <laughs> that's when it really gets good, is when they quote something that you said to them. And you're like, okay, so you heard it. I had one kid to come back and she said she was on her way to go to med school after she had finished her four-year scholarship of playing basketball. And she was going to med school. She said, you told me that this and that would happen. She said, but I didn't want to believe you in that moment. But when I got to college, she said, I found out that you were right. She says, I didn't want to go to med school without coming back to tell you that you were right. Because she was a brilliant student. So sometimes the students that are extremely smart, they want to think they're smarter than you on their court, too. <laughs> and right. She sure. And she didn't want to believe it. She, right. said, she says, but I want to come back and tell you this before I go to med school. That you were right. She says, and thank you for forcing me to change, you know. So just the little things like that is powerful when they come back and talk to you about it.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I think we do get caught up in results right now. Hey, you have won three state championships in a row. So and I know that's important to you. But you, it sounds like, to me, you value other things other than state championships. I mean, sure, you would like to have a national championship, but just like you said, how heartfelt that meant to you when those, that player came back and spoke to you. So there's other things us coaches can focus on.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the championship is the ultimate crown. Uh, my first high school team that I ever coached down in Miami, the first game I played after coming out of out of the college ranks, The score was, we lost to a score of 42 to two. I mean, two points. And we scored the first bucket. And I thought, okay, maybe we can do a little things here, you know. But uh, two points was all we had. That's a humbling experience to go 42 to two. And when, when young coaches come to me and say, well, coach, you always win at West. Like I said, I didn't always win. And when I tell them that story, I say, that your team scored more than two points? They said, yes. I said, well, you were better than I was. And, and you got to find some goodness in that. By the time we played that same team, that was our first game. We played that same team in January. And the coach came up to me. He shook my hand. We lost by six. He said, I see you found some extra players. I said, no, sir. That's the exact same team. He said, they've <laughs> grown that much? I said, Yes. See, because it's it's not always about the championships. It's, it's about making sure that your team understands and can progress in a positive manner. The championships are the ultimate crown. But what you want to see is that your children are making strides toward being successful. And that's where we wanted to start at. And, and that's one of the stories that even my assistant coaches sometimes When I've had new assistants, when they go out and get head positions, and they're crying and moaning and groaning, because they leave Westlake, and they think their program's going to be like Westlake overnight, (laughs) and and when I talk to them, I say I tell them that story about that forty two and two, and they say, "Coach, you never told me that." I say, "You weren't ready to hear it, but today you are, and it makes a difference."
0: Yeah, you got to earn your stripes in coaching, don't you? I mean, even uh, it's never that easy, and some of us you know, maybe some people, some coaches get away with going to a program with great talent, but it, it takes a while to build a consistent program like Westlake. Tell us about your top three non-negotiables. I, uh, you spoke to me before about, it, and I love what you said with your top three.
1: Okay. The, uh, like I said, the, they're the top three, but they're not necessarily in the order that I will present them. Uh, sure. and one of the top three are, uh, Mastering the fundamentals of the game and taking the time to teach those fundamentals Uh, that will make a, a team that is not very strong, very successful one day. And if you have a strong team, it makes you even stronger. So the fundamentals, whether your team is, is very poor, very good or excellent, the fundamentals are paramount and the more talent you have, the higher level of fundamentals you can teach, you know, uh, I've had some teams where we're just trying to make a right hand layup. That, matter of fact, that was my tryout in Miami. Uh, if you <laughs> can make a right hand layup, you on the bars, so If you couldn't make the shot, then you're on JV. Okay, uh, <laughs> that was my criteria. So we had to master the fundamentals of just making a layup. But when you have a team that is much more solid, well, then you can push them to a euro step. You can get even higher levels of fundamentals, and that is something that a coach has to make it their mission to hone in on we ran a camp for 10 years and it was called a hankerson fundamental with the emphasis in fun f-u-n uh, sure. fundamental basketball camp and and many kids from around the community even as far as as McDonough, georgia came to our camp to learn the fundamentals and and teaching them how to shoot a proper jump shot how to shoot and and, and follow through and, and actually come off a dribble those type of skills are a lost art. We got, I, I wish sometimes the three point line was not available in the elementary schools. Cause these kids would stand outside there and I call it throwing up shots, throw up shots into one fall and <laughs> they get good at it and <laughs> come to high school. They're like, Whoa, what, what's happening? Somebody's in my face. Now I can't shoot that, that three. And I just want to see those fundamentals just be embedded in those athletes from dribbling, shooting, Defense, every aspect of it. And we spend those years teaching those skills that when those kids go off to high school and college, they have come back from my camps and said, you know, my my college coach didn't teach this right here, but I taught some of my girls on the team, you know, (laughs) and that was really inspiring. Uh, Also, the expectations. You have to expect certain things from your team and not settle for them to do it their way. And as we always say on our staff, we have to inspect what we expect. And if I don't stop you and say, Hey, you're not doing that right. And and I don't hesitate to stop them. And that doesn't always sit well with a lot of athletes. Some of them, you know, still want to do it their way, especially when they're young and they've been so successful in playing in the eighth grade or ninth grade, uh, those kids sometimes have been the leading scorer. You know, I had one kid come in she scored 53 points in the eighth grade. <laughs> and, you know, she was, she was begging to get four points down for me, you know, but she had 53 in the eighth grade game. Her mom and dad told me about it and one of her AAU coaches. Uh, so you have to inspect what you expect and make sure that they continue to want to strive for that level of excellence. And third, but not least is a vision. Every team should have a vision set before them. You cannot start the season and expect them to know where we're going. And there have been teams that we've had that were really, really strong. And, of course, our vision is higher. That, that first state championship in 2018, when we began to practice that summer and we went to the summer leagues, Uh, I looked at that team and I knew what everybody else had in the state. And I told my family, I said, this team can win the state championship. I said, this is a team that can win it right here. Because I knew what we had. You know, we brought in one of the most renowned eighth graders in the country. Uh, She's Miss Georgia basketball right now. But she was our starting point guard. And when you start with a person with the head as knowledgeable as she was then, uh, she made us so much better. So our vision was was different in 2018. And, and that was our first state championship. We had six seniors and, you know, like I said, we wanted to win more than we wanted to breathe some days. And those people were really after it. But there have been some years where we were just happy to win two back-to-back region championships. And we celebrated that. So you have to meet your team where they are. I don't take a team that sometimes graduate a bunch of people and say that this team can do it again. Uh, But we were able to return a a handful of our players the next year. Did we believe that we could win? We had that belief, but it wasn't as confident. So we didn't travel out of town. We stayed in the city to make these babies feel a little bit more comfortable. And to our surprise, they did end up winning it. Uh, But your vision is powerful. And you got to get your kids to buy into your vision. When I came to Westlake, they'd only won three games. Our vision was to make sure we won more games than we lost. And we have never had a losing season since I've been at Westlake. Because we try to put that vision before every team. And every team has a different vision. I'd be foolish to think that every team could win a state championship. I'm not that crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. But you, um, it, it's amazing how if you be at, I bet right now, your program, you've been there so long that you know who's coming up, right? And you have, because your feeder program, I think the feeder program, I think it's harder at a big school like yours. Now, at a small school like me, I teach all my kids from kindergarten up. So I know who they are.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, but, you know, we don't have as many kids, but I'm at a small school. But is it harder at a big school to get your hands? Maybe with your camps, that that probably helps you, right?
1: Well, I haven't run a camp in over 10 years. I ran it for 10 years. It's been 10 years that we haven't. Back in the day when we started that recession, when that recession came, it really hit the school system hard, too, that it was very difficult to utilize the space to run the camps. So we have stopped 10 years, and we ran it for 10 years prior Mm -hmm. to that but uh, our feeder schools are very good but uh, and and, you know and Westlake sits in that zip code that is very very prominent in our community and we also have a math science magnet school so we have kids that have come into my program from Chicago one young lady came down and I said how did you know about the program she says because we looked it up she told me my record how many wins I had in the region I said you looked us up like that? Yes. So people do uh, check us out <laughs> and, yeah. and purposely move into our neighborhood from out of state. We had a girl come in from Cincinnati and they look us up. They send me emails before they ever move into the community. And I always say, if you build a program, what do they say in that field of dreams, they will come. So some people I don't even know until they walk through that door uh that they have taken that much time I'm still amazed that they take that much time to take a look at our program and to make it at their point to come to play at Westlake High
0: do you find coach that because nowadays and I'm sure I think you started in 1995 at Westlake was that right right yeah and times have changed now because I think The transfer portal, kids will transfer and parents will transfer. I'm not saying it's wrong because, you know, we get transfers as well. Um, That's just the way it is. And like you're saying, if you build a great program with a great reputation, yes, kids will come to your program. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, with the, the portal as it is today as kids, you know, looking for programs that are strong, you know, parents are doing a lot of different things. And like I said, for those kids to come out of the various parts of the country, literally, uh, I am totally amazed. Our boys program is also a strong program. And I was the athletic director for a time at Westlake for 12 years. And we had a man to come in from Las Vegas and want to meet coach Rogers. And he said, I'll be moving next year, but I'm, putting the money down on my house to be built now. I mean, we're not talking about in-state. We're talking about across the United States that people take the time to come to our program. And and we are always amazed. I walked this man to Darren's office and I said, uh, he's from Las Vegas. He's planning on moving to Atlanta, Georgia. You know, Uh, and I'm always amazed at how much time people take into looking into our programs. And I'm sure other programs, people do the same thing, but I'm not at their school, so I don't know. But I do know what people do at Westlake.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Westlake is not only, because i researched your school, you got a strong, people think, oh, well, it's just athletics. No, you got a strong academic program as well. People forget about that sometimes. And you have to, <laughs> not you agree? You have to have both these days or people are not going to come to your school.
1: You're, you're exactly right. You know, we have a strong math science magnet program and an IB program. And, uh, we have kids that, uh, you know, this year have gone off, uh, to Harvard, you know, Georgia tech, uh, quite a few of them decided to stay at home and go to Georgia state with the pandemic <laughs> at the last right. minute, they changed their minds. Uh, this would allow them to at least stay closer on campus, stay closer to the campus rather. and uh, But we do have a, a strong academic program and uh, probably one of the strongest in Fulton County with our test scores and everything uh, to be a public school. And, and that speaks volumes uh, with our athletes. And when you are a magnet program, of course, you can receive different kids from around Fulton County who, who qualify to get into your math science magnet program and your IB program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a credit to you and your school for building that reputation, because I know it's not easy. Um, talk about um, your program right now. And I want to talk a little basketball with you, but before we do that, you're going to be trying to win a fourth state championship. Is that correct in a row? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and. and Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today.
1: Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado.
0: And what's the the challenges in that? And I think we spoke before about getting up to the top. Now you're at the top. What are some challenges this season coming up? What are some of your goals for your team this season?
1: Well, of course, you know, we would definitely put that before us as to try and win that fourth state championship. We have, um, my starting point guard, as I mentioned before, Raven Johnson, uh, she's the only athlete that has started in all three of the state championships. Okay. <clears throat> so everybody else has moved into those spots after others have graduated. Uh, After that first year when all the seniors were gone, uh, Raven was the only starter (laughs) that returned Mm -hmm. for the second state championship. So the people that we put around her were everybody who came off the bench, literally. They weren't even in the top three subs off the bench. The second championship was built with those kids who we – had to train and get ready. That's why it was a giant question mark. We knew we were still talented, but when you've never started and never carried the team, you're not sure what kind of mindset they're gonna have. You got to wait and see. <laughs> so it was a little uh, bit of a challenge. And when we had, we brought up one of our big girls from the the JV program, uh, Lydia Freeman, who's our six five center. You know, I, I worked with her every day in the gym in the summertime, one on one. And we would go through the fundamentals of the game. This is a kid that didn't know how to walk and chew gum, never (laughs) touched the ball. Her hands were so large, I asked her to walk over there and pick up a ball and bring it to me. She bent over and picked it up like it was a softball. And I (laughs) I said, do it again. And she was so naive, she didn't even know how powerful that was. She said, what? What's going on? I said, oh, my goodness. I said, don't worry about that. Let me teach you. I had to figure out how to place her hands on the ball because her hands were so large. And we use a girl's ball, so it's little. To her, (laughs) it's little. And so this is a kid that came off the end of the bench and became a starter, the second state championship. So these types of things, we weren't certain of what was going to happen. The third year, we knew we were bringing everybody back. And bringing everybody back, we had a greater push, but we hit that part in the season where we got a little complacent. Toward the end, it was like, well, this is going to happen, right? And not pushing ourselves as hard. So I had to make them see the the light at the end of that tunnel a little bit plainer. And once we got their attention again, then we were able to rise. Uh, So this year, we don't bring back everybody. We graduate three seniors, and two of those were starters, and one was a sixth man. And, of course, I I lose my 6'5 body in the paint, too. Uh, she 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 was so special that there was no one in the state who had a person who could guard her. She demanded attention. She would demand two and three guards, people around her, sometimes four. And that would open up the floor for everybody else to take a shot. Because once she had the ball in her hands, she was our shack. You know, once we taught her the game, they had to respect her in the paint. So this season, we're having to, after we had to learn how to play with her, now we got to learn to play without her. Because she, you know, she protected the paint and she got all those rebounds that we were, you know, taking for granted. It's going to demand everybody else to step up in a different way. So each year is brought about a different challenge. So now we have people who will have to step up and, and become strong in their belief in who they are in order to help us win a fourth state championship.
0: Yeah. And it gets, uh, I imagine, and I don't know this because I haven't experienced it. I've always been trying to kind of build our program up to a certain point. Um, It sounds like to me, it's like each year, you have kind of a different vision with your team. Is that correct? Or as it stayed consistent, even for this year?
1: Oh, yeah. The vision has to change because you don't keep the same people. Um, <clears throat> after we won that second state championship, of course, that vision is a little bit easier to hone in on because those are the exact same kids. We brought everybody back from the second state championship. Okay? So we had to really – push them to not get complacent because they all came back. It wasn't like that second one where we had to find our identity. We knew what the identity was. And this fourth year, now we're going to have to find a new identity. We're going to play without our 6'5 person in the paint. We've lost one of our perimeter starting guards as well. So we got to replace those athletes with different people so now our vision is still going to be to win the state, but how we do it is going to be totally different, totally different. And I don't believe in doing the exact same thing every year. You, you can't do that. That's just foolishness. You, you have to take what you have and build your team around the different levels of the strength that each player will possess this season coming up.
0: Yeah, and tell us, and I know you like to play, I know your team's based on defense. Talk in detail a little bit about your, I'm assuming you guys are going to get after them, full court, run and jump, man to man. Kind of talk how you're going to build your defense so the coaches, of course, some of the coaches are probably writing these notes down. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so so I guess you got to be careful, coach, but um, kind of explain your system you're going to be using this year. that, That would really help us. (laughs)
1: He said, help us. Uh Uh-huh. I heard that. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, we always try and teach the girls uh, the proper man-to-man defense, how to play help defense, how Mm. to deny, you know, uh, force backdoor whenever we can, things of that nature, depending on how strong the offensive team is that we are playing. And we also... When we have the personnel, we love to get after the ball in our run and jump press. It is our signature. It doesn't always work as well with certain teams. Um, Some teams, we're better off pressing in a zone, but we may be in a full-court zone press. So I take the strengths of the team, and we determine what press is going to be best for us. You know, we've we've run uh, full-court presses where we have a man – on the inbound ball at the baseline. And I've had some teams, boy, I, I got to back up the half court. I can barely run a half court press, okay? So <laughs> sure. it, it, it's about having a little bit of wisdom and not foolishness. You know, I had one team, we could only trap the first trap. And after that one, we better be all running back. There was no second trap. <laughs> you know, uh, And that's just the wisdom of knowing what your team is capable of. And we do have uh, quite a bit of quickness uh, on our team. We when we have it and the kids understand the rotation. And see, in understanding the rotation and a run and jump press, first of all, your team has to trust it. See, when they get taught defense in the elementary school and, and rec league, a lot of times, you know, those kids are taught to, to stand in that spot, in that zone, on that X, as one of my ball players said, we put hula hoops out and we stood <laughs> in the hula hoops. Don't move past these spots. Now that kid comes to high school. they're looking at me like, "I'm crazy. Uh, so you gotta you have to break down those barriers that they have been taught in an early part of their lives. And once we get them to trust in the process, then we get them to to really understand it. And you got to have a some pretty good guards that don't mind getting after it
0: <laughs> and, yeah.
1: uh, and and we have been blessed with that, not always every year. But in the past couple of years, we've been blessed with some some athletes that could do that. Our, our first state championship, we couldn't even run the run and jump press too long because we didn't have enough athletes to rotate as well. Uh, this team this year was the best out of the three teams that could run it. So it's not always that we can do it with every team, but we can do facets of it with some teams. So some, that's why sometimes it's difficult to tell what kind of press we are in because I don't mind modifying it. So to, to to somebody else, it looks like junk. To us, we know what it is.
0: Yeah, and that's good coaching when you have to kind of adjust it. And sometimes, Coach, have you found out over the years you went in thinking, oh, man, we can run and jump all over the court, and then you find out like three games into the season, hey, we got to make some adjustments, right?
1: Ooh, I don't <laughs> mind throwing <laughs> it out the window. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I will throw it out quickly. You know, you give me a few games, I'm like, mm. This team can't do that. All right. Back to the drawing board. What's next? Press number two or defense number two. Uh, You know, I am not ashamed to do that. That's just making sure that you understand it's not your pet peeve. I went to a coaching clinic by the great Hubie Brown that used to coach at the Atlanta Hawks. And he said at the clinic, this is one of my, in my younger days when I first started going to clinics and he made the comment, he says, are you going to coach? With your pet peeve, are you going to coach with what is best for your team? And I never forgot that. That was one of the first things I learned in coaching. And that little pet peeve because I want to run a one-two-two, three-quarter press, uh uh-uh. If my team can't do that, then I need to move on to something else. And I don't mind changing it.
0: Yeah, and that's the art of coaching. I think that's a separator with coaches. I think kind of knowing your players – and knowing, like, when to make adjustments, to me, that's the key to coaching. I, and, Coach, I don't know. I, I guess you can teach it to a certain degree. I think certain coaches just have a better knack just to do their preparation. Talk about your offense. Um, sounds like, to me, you're going to be an up-tempo. You're pushing the ball hard on the break. Kind uh, of talk about your offensive system a little bit?
1: Yeah, we uh, try to. Push the ball whenever we can. Uh, we love to run the fast break. We love we love to uh, push that ball out, off the rebound and, and get after it and try to score quickly. If we can score before anybody sets up their defense, you know, uh, that's just one less defensive set that we've got to look at. So we really try hard and the girls love it. It, it gets there blood going a little bit and uh, gets our energy pumped up and we can get a couple of quick baskets early on. And we look forward to doing that. Uh, sometimes, you know, running that break is not not possible. You know, when, when you lost one of your strongest rebounders in the state of Georgia, we're going to see <laughs> sure. how fast we can get out. We might have all five people on the boards. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see on that. But we are—we will try to run, and uh, our offensive set in the half court will look different. Uh, we know you put that ball up into the six-five person's hands, and she was going to draw attention, kick out. You know, we're going to knock down a three, or we're going to drive to the basket. Uh, so those type of things will have to change for sure. But we have some offenses that can accommodate us uh, without playing with a girl like that. But. We're hoping that we'll still be able to continue to run. I, I'm pretty sure we will. We still have those skill sets, and you know we have some some really good guards uh, who can push that ball and could and actually finish in transition. A lot of times we've had teams that could get ball out and break, but we had guards that couldn't finish. So we're like we're praying, closing my eyes, let it fall in the basket, please. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to continue that and just. Work on making sure that everybody understands their new positions because there will be a, a different feel. It's going to be a different feel that we're going to have to adjust to.
0: Yeah, are you trying to? Because um, I actually, I think all coaches now we haven't seen our players. I haven't. i have, you know, I, you know, we do individual. Uh, I haven't doing individual workouts. I'm sure just like you are right now at this time. But we really don't know our team yet until we get them on the floor later. Are you – do you like to spread out – are you a five-out or are you going more of a four-out offense, uh, pass cut, drive kick, ball screen? What do you like doing on the offensive end?
1: Uh, like I said before, uh, that depends on what we have. When I had my six five girl, it was never any five-out. That wasn't happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she, she stayed under the basket. I'm not crazy. <laughs> and we, we played a team that, that ran a five-out one time. And we knew they were going to run a five out. And my, my my center, she looked at me, she said, in practice, she says, when they go to that five out, she said, who will I guard? I said, you're going to guard that one that I'm going to tell you to guard that's going to be the closest one hanging around that basket because she can't do nothing out there. And I promise you there's going to be somebody close to you. And there was. There was. And so she said, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I said, that's the man you're guarding. And, and, it, and it worked. But like I said, I'm not sure yet uh, what offensive sets we're going to use as our primary. We do have the capabilities this season to go five out. Sure. We, we were foolishness if we put a 6'5 girl on the perimeter who's not driving to your basket, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you get in there and guard her uh, when we go four out in one end. So we're always willing to modify what we have. And until I see them, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do on a regular, you know, Uh, but when we had her, the six, five girl, Lydia, when we had her in the paint, we knew there was never going to be a five out, even though that was the, that is the thing that everybody likes to do. And we have the capability of doing that this season. We will have the capability of doing it. And uh, we have to make sure that we have enough people that understand their options off of that dribble drive. Some folks, Coming off their thing, they just coming to, to drive and kick every time. And, you know, they're never going to shoot. Right. <laughs> so those are the kind of things that I have to exploit on somebody else's team. I said, these are going to be their two primary shooters. This girl won't shoot from the outside. Don't worry about that. So, you know, we break things down like that. And and if I go to a five out, I want to make sure I got enough kids that have enough options in their offense that's why they need to be working on their fundamentals this year during the summer <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and working on how to come off that, that screen if there is a screen and, and pull up a jump shot. A lot of kids can't come off a screen and shoot a jump shot, you know, and then when you become a real good guard, when you can get right there behind that girl who's setting that screen and pull that shot before you ever come off of it. I've had a few girls that were just that smart that could do that. And uh, so it just depends. I'm going to wait and see what we look like.
0: Yeah, and that's, and you got to be honest, Coach, this summer is, is you know, as coaches, man, we utilize the whole month of June to kind of, exper- I use it as my experiment month. I'll, I'll, I'll try different things in the summer just to see if it works. Are you the same?
1: Oh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm missing June. I'm really missing that June. <laughs> I
0: know, I know.
1: <laughs> Going to, you know, the camps, you know, we've gone to some college camps uh, around the city and, uh, all the way down to mercer you know i go give my alma mater some love down there <laughs> and and i enjoy going to the south because i get a chance to play teams down there that i might see in playoff they won't come all the way to atlanta you know yeah. so uh you know i enjoyed that and uh so that's shut out <laughs> and we're just not going to have that opportunity to you know to learn about who is left and what they can do because sometimes you know you see those kids the light bulb goes on you know two years after they've been in your program you go okay now you've got it but those first two years they're looking at you like you know you are the coach from hell you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and, they, yeah. and they don't want to change but and then all of a sudden that light bulb goes off in their head and you see the spark in their eyes I got it and those are the kind of things that you get a chance to see in the summertime and I had one kid her sister was a senior. She was a sophomore. And I saw her playing really hard on the JV, brought her up her sophomore year, thought, well, this will make her feel comfortable because I got her big sister as a senior. That kid would not play for me until her junior year. And I said, why wouldn't you play? She says, I was too scared. I just didn't want to try. And <laughs> wouldn't try. Would not try until her junior year. And then her senior year, she's a starter. I mean, was an excellent athlete, but sometimes – the idea of varsity, especially at Westlake, sometimes it's, it's so overwhelming for them. And it takes them a while to just trust the process. But when they do, there's a special little bunch to watch after that.
0: Yeah, and that's when you know you're building a great program is is kids will know you'll get the right kids out because they know the, the commitment level is so high. But you'll also lose, you'll lose a lot of kids probably, right, Coach? But you know what? They're, they're not committed to your vision.
1: You know, <laughs> you, that is so true. Uh, some kids just refuse. <clears throat> no matter how hard you, you try, they refuse to commit to that vision that we have set before them. And if that's the case, then you haven't lost anybody. Uh, that kid has a right to, to, to not play for you not to play on the varsity team. You know, some kids just enjoy playing JV and that's just it. And they say, well, I, I just can't play at that level uh, that coach wants me to. I say, you used to just going out on the floor and doing what you want to do when you want to do it, aren't you? And kids will tell me, yes, I am. I said, okay, well then we have different visions. You can't play for me. And, and that's just being real. I respect their vision of not doing what I want and they can move on and I'm happy too because at least we've had a conversation about that. So there are a few kids every now and then that really can't rise up from the JV program because the commitment, I had one kid tell me, say, coach, the commitment is too great. She played for me for one year. She said, but you all go so deep in the playoff, you know, because we're not finishing our season in February. Right. You know, like I said, we've been to every state playoff now for 25 years. And, uh, and she said, I, I can't give up that kind of time anymore, <laughs> you know. I said, "Just want to be a regular student, right?" She said, "Right, okay." I said, "Fair enough, fair enough." So she didn't play her senior year, and and I get it. It's a it's a big commitment, and you know, I say it all the time. I know, um, you know, we start off in October, and really in June, like you said, we start off in October, and we could go through March or late February sometimes, and that's a long time. That's your that's the majority of your school year.
0: Yeah, that is a long time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some kids don't like that, you know, and, uh, and I can understand that.
0: Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches.
1: It's it's one of the one of the greatest commitments because after the season is over with, you know, in a couple more months, school is out. <laughs> and and it's tough. It's tough. Especially with the year we went to the GEICO Nationals in twenty eighteen. We had worked so hard. We had played twenty-five games in summer league. Of course, they're modified games, you know, because it's running clock most of the time, and you know, stuff right. like that. Our two halves running clock, and then we went to the Geico Nationals. And it, when it was introduced, we won the state championship on that Saturday. That Monday, we introduced it to the kids that we were getting ready to go to Geico Nationals. Everybody screaming and hollering, and one kid came up to me. She was a senior. And she said, does that mean we still have to practice? (laughs) You know, just (laughs) exhausted, just exhausted. For sure. And uh so I had to give them a couple of weeks off just to pull themselves together, then start to practice for the nationals. I mean, it was it was powerful. And that group of kids were so dedicated, those seniors gave up their prom. The prom was that weekend that we played in the nationals. And you know, that made national news that those Seniors, and we had six of them now, uh, gave up their prom to go to the national tournament.
0: Yeah, that, um, and I don't think people realize, I know this is kind of a side note, is a team wins a region championship. You better regroup to start almost on a completely new season to win the state, right?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, you know, it takes five games to win. it. And I try to keep it before them, you know, and, and minimize that it's only five. <laughs> and 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 not look at it as, oh, I got to go to March. Uh, we're talking about five games. Take it one game at a time. Right. One game at a time. And, and that's how we keep that vision before us. And, you know, we write that name on the board is who our competition is. We want to make sure that we stay focused on just that one game. And then we'll work on the next one if and when that opportunity presents itself. So when they come in and I give out the schedule at the beginning of the year, I always tell them now what you don't see is playoff. Especially for fresh when they come in and say, it's more games that I don't see. What? <laughs> you know, they can't, they don't even understand what the schedule looks like. So the, the playoff is not written on the schedule. But I let them know that if we should get past this, there could be more games. You become you come out the region, you could have five more games, and they're looking like wow. I mean, the first time I went to the final four, they were like, "There's more," and so that's why I began to tell them ahead of time that there was gonna be more because they didn't get that because it wasn't visible. And you know, I had one parent that had planned a planned a cruise. You know, I'm really? like no, you can't you can't go on that cruise right now. I'm sorry. Y'all got to postpone that. <laughs> One of our parents, God bless her, she she planned the cruise her first year during Christmas time. I said, no, we got Christmas tournaments. The next year she planned it. We went to the national tournament, and I looked at her for the third year. I said, Will you please stop planning those cruises? Stop <laughs> planning the cruises. Do it in yeah. summertime. I know that's the best prices, but you got to wait. <laughs> so we messed up their family cruises for two years in a row.
0: Yeah. And that's, um, that's all part of the commitment though. And that, that's, that's one thing about basketball, man. It's a, it's a, it's a long season, but it's a worthwhile season. And of course your parents know now, Hey, your expectations are high. Oh yes. Oh, <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> you know, it's, it's not winning record. It's, you know, you, but that's, that's, that's the hard thing, right coach. And oh, yes. the, the great thing is that, you're expect it's hard to meet those standards every year. You got to work,
1: right? And uh, and you know, and I and I said again, it's it's not for everybody, and and I get that, <laughs> and I have learned to respect that. Uh, even as coaches, you know, uh, some people don't don't stay long in this coaching arena uh, because the commitment to be successful is so great. You know, I, I just don't wake up on, you know, on Friday or Tuesday morning and say, ah, oh, what's going to be our game plan today? You know, you're working on that game plan, you're looking at film, uh, you know, huddle getting all of my money.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> we're looking at film and we're looking at all types of situations of what we can do to bec- make our team better. And, you know, I have, I've watched the film on my iPad laying in my bed at night before playoffs uh and just trying to get one little edge to make our team much more successful. And, you know, and some coaches don't want to spend that kind of time uh making their team better. Right. You know, you, you get they just want to, you know, they just proud to be in it and think, well, I got some good kids and this kid is going to carry me. Well, you can take a, a mediocre team and beat somebody great if you work hard enough.
0: Yeah, for sure. And coaching, I think coaching, particularly at the high school level, right, Coach, it, you got to have that, those, those coaches that give that little bit or a lot more have the edge over a more talented team.
1: Oh, yes. And and those are the uh, programs that you have to really watch out for. You know, we, <laughs> in this business, you know, we we learn what coaches are, are more committed to making sure that their teams are prepared. And, and that makes us work even harder when we have to come and face them. And So we, we, we try our best to, to work as hard and to keep that vision before us. Even if it means that, Hey, we came out of the region. Sometimes we've gone to the state. We only went to the state one time, I think as the number 14. Right. So, we, you know, and a couple of times as number three and, you know, every we've have have had a few upsets <laughs> in our career uh, to come out at that level, even and make your team believe, like I said, we, we beat Norcross one time in the sweet 16 and they were a number one seed. And I, I, I knew that if we had won, I said, Oh my God, we're going to go against Norcross. And, and we took those babies. I think we had maybe two seniors on the team at that time. And, and we beat Norcross at Norcross. It was one of our greatest victories because I think they had already won four state championships at that time. And uh, <laughs> and we were so proud to do that on their floor, not even on our floor, because we were number three seed. And and when you can sell your kids into buying into the process, then you know you've done your job. You know you've done your job. And uh that was a great, a great victory because we knew that. You know, Angie Hembry had a a magnificent program. You know, she built that brand over there. Yeah. And for for us to do that was, you know, a grand night. I mean, people were crying, screaming, running around the gym. I mean, (laughs) we could not hardly get on the bus to go back home. It was (laughs) such an exciting time for us. Uh, And and like I said, we came out of the region. I believe we were number three seed uh, that year. And that's why we had to play that number one seed. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, we had to play them. That's how we came out. So we were just proud that we were able to do something out of the ordinary. And so every now and then, if you if you make your team believe, oh, they'll perform a miracle for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's so true. Um, and before I get to my last question, Coach, was that the game against Norcross that really turned the corner for your program? And I think you lost the next game against McEacher, and I think it was, you told me. So, yes. But was that the game that turned the corner that you can go back to all these teams now and say, hey, that was the game?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, have, we have film of the people on the floor screaming and hollering. That was just, that's about as good as the, the film of the game itself was the film aftermath that we took. Um, you know, I, we, we did a good job against Norcross, of course, that night. And when we went to play McEachern, uh, we had a game plan, but we fell short with the game plan. But we were we were in the game. We were competitive, uh, you know, and it made a, a difference as the kids began to to realize that hey, we can do this because those was, those were some of the kids that the very next year we go and win the state championship. Okay, I believe that was the next year that we go and win, or maybe two years after that. I think it was two years for that. But those were the same babies that had grown up that had wanted to beat uh, McKeacher. And we were in the game, and like I said, they had a a really good guard that came across that floor at half court and decided she wasn't going to be denied. And she dropped a couple of threes, and it put it away in the fourth quarter. She put it away in the fourth quarter. But uh, it was a competitive game, and when your kids can compete against – some of the known state champions, uh, that's, that's where you want them to get to in that same uh, arena and, and start to believe. And once they did that, uh, and when we lost to, to, to in that year, my, my point guard came to me afterwards a year later, and she said, I should have shot the ball more. I should have shot the ball more. I said, yes, you should have. But she was afraid because she was so young. And and she refused to. But she became one of the best three-point shooters (laughs) of our team when that first state championship. But she learned from it. So she said, I'm never going to be the reason why we lose again. So even that was powerful. Those kind of uh, lessons were powerful against a team like a McEachern. So we were were proud of her in the end because we were in that first state championship. I looked at her. I said, you've got to shoot. And she didn't hesitate. And she put us with a comfortable lead at the halftime in that first one because she shot the ball.
0: So you, you never really learn, lose, right? You just learn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, 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 you know, I mean, you, you can't. You lost on the scoreboard, but your team learned a lot. That's what it sounds like to me.
1: Oh, by all means. I'm always going to take a, a loss and use it as a teaching moment uh, because sometimes <clears throat> that's when you learn the most you learn the most about your team in the midst of a loss or you know, even though you lost the game, it was a, a close loss. We lost the game and Geico and this guard that I was telling you about, she went absolutely crazy. She started knocking down threes from half court. She had knocked down three in a row and they were so deep from behind the arc <laughs> and we were pulling within six and the coach, uh, looked at their players and told them, said, no matter what, you foul the next shot. And we had another little girl that actually took the shot. And she looked at her. She said, why didn't you give me the ball? And, you know, you got to feed that hot hand. Everybody's got to know who she is. And uh, and we ended up losing. But I mean to tell you, she shot that ball so deep. She was three and four feet from behind the arc. <laughs> and so yeah. when they fouled our other player, they just said, I don't care who it is. Ain't nobody else dropping another three, okay? Uh, but it was it was a great game. That's why we were a little disappointed that we didn't get a chance to go back. I think the kids had the experience to be more successful this time. But, you know, hey, it happens.
0: That's right. Yeah, and, of course, the selection process, sometimes you wonder what, what the selection process uh, – but maybe, the, hey, may, maybe you'll, you guys are going to go back again this year um, <laughs> I'm hoping because I'll be talking to the Geico coach, Geico national coach uh, hey but um, hey, my last question is this um, is you've had a lot of players go on to the next level um for us coaches who might have one or two, and I have one that's uh being looked at by a lot of schools, what do you recommend because what I'm sensing is trying to find the right fit for a player is not easy because. You know, she might have parents who think maybe oh, you can play at Georgia, Florida, Clemson. And then realistically, we're looking at she plays at a smaller Division One level. How do you make that? What's your system for that?
1: Well, first of all, that child belongs to the parent. The ultimate decision as to where that parent wants their child to go is theirs. And I, I don't <clears throat> fight that fight. If that parent believes that their child should be at UConn, I'm going to let them believe that. And And I really stand back out of the way. But I will assist when that parent doesn't mind hearing what I have to say. I've coached at the top level. I know that some kids cannot play, you know, in that Southeastern Conference in the ACC. Uh, You, (laughs) it's not for everybody, but some kids can still play division one ball, maybe at a mid major. Uh, Some people can play at an NAIA school. And in this day and time, unless you are an exceptional guard to play at the top level, uh, a lot of the colleges are wanting that Juco point guard, that guard that can bring experience immediately. Sure. And, um, A lot of programs are building their program off of that. The great Pat Summit at Tennessee, in her early days, she would not recruit Juco players. and Nobody else wanted to either that much. And when she finally took a Juco kid and made her her point guard, the rest of the nation said, "Mm, it's okay to bring a Juco kid as a point guard. And everybody started to do it. Because that kid brought experience to her program and gave her instant success where she'd have to train that freshman. And I tell some guards, unless you're that superior guard, sometimes it's difficult for somebody to take a five, six, five, seven, five, eight high school point guard versus a JUCO guard that has been, you know, seasoned around that shot clock and things of that nature. So I I try to say that as a group, hope that everybody hears me, but there are going to be some parents that still want it their way. And the ultimate, it is their child. And I leave it alone. I really do. I don't get caught up in that because it's not my dream. It is their dream that the parent is trying to have become successful for their child, but I will always give them the best overall information to use as a recruiting guideline but what I won't do is tell them where to go unless I know that program will be harmful to that child and I've only had to stop one child in all of my career I only had to stop one child going to a school because I knew something was not right that I had it was already verified and I said that's not going to be a good place to say but why coach and she respected it after she finally understood it but for the most part It is their decision and I give them guidelines to look at as they make that choice and they can take it and run with it or they can throw it out the window. But once again, it is their child in the end.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And um, I appreciate, I appreciate that advice. Um, And I totally agree with that. You can only, you can only offer advice and try to help them as much as, you know, what I do is I send out video and, and so forth. She gets, Uh, through her um, Nike Elite team and so forth, she gets recognized as well. Um, And that's usually, I hate to say it, Coach, the club-level teams get a lot more exposure. Now, a lot of the coaches have contacted me, but that's where a lot of the coaches can see and play, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Now that we have um, the different, you know, clubs, AAU teams that are out there and they have those exposure events, I mean, why wouldn't you? come in there and see hundreds of kids as opposed to coming to a hundred different schools. Uh, <laughs> it's just more practical uh, right. for the college coaches at this time. And and I get it, you know, uh, it's, it's the wave of the future and it gives them an opportunity to see a lot more babies. It, it just, and it's cost effective. <laughs> for sure. You, know, you see <laughs> The head coach go one place because sometimes there are two or three tournaments that are going at the same time. And, you just divide the staff up and you know what tournaments have the kids that you are able to recruit. And you know what programs are there that you can recruit from because everybody can't recruit uh, from the same level of uh, competition that's out there. And, and the college coaches, they, they realize that real soon. It don't take them long to know that. And um, and that has given the kids a better opportunity to be seen. Is giving them a better opportunity to be seen. And, and like you said, as the high school coaches, uh, sometimes depending on what type of AAU team they're playing on, they will come to us for film, you know, and uh, say, well, let me see what she looks like under a little bit uh, different structure. And, uh, and then I'll sit out the film, you know, and, and let somebody see them. But uh, there always are going to be those kids that will be given uh, – more of an opportunity because they play on a on a better club,
0: right? And for that's sure. just a fact. Yeah, that's just a fact. There, I, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> coach, right. I really appreciate you sharing with me. Uh, thanks for um, thanks for taking the time out of your day. And uh, um, it's a great honor speaking to really, really a really a legendary coach here in Atlanta. I don't know if a lot of people around the other parts of the country really know what kind of great coaches we have not only in Atlanta, but around the state of Georgia. So I really appreciate you joining me.
1: No problem. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, coaches. This is Brad Hilligas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning.